Open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Romans. And I would like to consider with you the words found in Romans chapter 5 in the first five verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, with such a tremendous passage as this, one might easily spend, I think, several weeks discussing a number of very important fundamental Christian truths. And the context of this passage flowing from chapter 4 is justification by faith. So it would be easy to consider the subject of faith from this passage. Or we could discuss what it means to have peace with God or consider this grace in which the Christian stands. Faith, hope, and love are all mentioned in this passage. So this is one of the great passages of Scripture. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13 says, But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So we might very rightly talk about the love of God being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. But in this passage, you might also note that the word hope is mentioned three times. In verse 2, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And then in verses 4 and 5, we find that tribulation brings perseverance, which proves character, And that proven character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Well, something that scripture says cannot disappoint us, I think, is certainly worthy of our consideration. So, Lord willing, I would like to discuss with you the subject of hope. Well, what is hope? Well, the challenge in considering the subject of hope is that we commonly use this word in our culture as a substitute for wish. I sure hope it rains today. So-and-so is in the hospital. He's very sick. I hope he's going to be okay. I hope to buy a new car this year, and on. We can all make plans on how to save money, calculate how long it's going to take us to have enough in the bank to purchase a car that we hope to buy, But there is nothing we can do to make it rain, and wishing someone into health never did anyone any good at all. See, real hope is not a wish regarding a a future uncertain outcome. 
And we have to get that idea completely out of our minds as we come to the scriptures. Hope is not wishful thinking, but hope does involve anticipation. And in just a few chapters uh, on, in chapter 8 of Romans, we see that Paul is considering the sufferings of this present time as unworthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us as creation is liberated from its current slavery to corruption and we as children of God are set free from our groanings in the redemption of our bodies, the completion of our adoption as sons. And Paul, in the midst of his suffering, is exulting in hope of the glory of God. He is full of this eager expectation, this anticipation of what he does not yet possess. And in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 8, he says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So we see Romans 5 unfolding further in Romans 8 as Paul's current tribulations cause him to persevere in hope, in expectation. So biblically speaking, we could first of all say that hope is an, is an act. It is to eagerly expect. It is to anticipate. It's a looking forward to a future realization. And because of this anticipation, there is a diligence, a persistence, there's a perseverance in the act of hoping itself. And this is seen in a number of passages, but one we could think about would be 1 Corinthians 9. And in that passage, Paul quotes from the Law of Moses. And he writes there, records there, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. Well, why not? Well, to make a demand on an animal without giving it its just due, its wages, uh, would be wrong. Because even an animal understands eager expectation. Even an animal is driven by hope. And Paul brings this up to prove uh, by extreme measure here, the, the obvious point that ministers of the gospel should get their living from the gospel. He says the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. So in a basic way, hope is an eager expectation of a future event. The laborer is out there working in the field, And all the while he knows, with each passing hour, he's getting closer and closer to getting paid at the end of the day. He's out there in the field, he's plowing and preparing, he's seeding, he's fertilizing, and in his mind he's he's anticipating the corn's going to be this high, you know, in a few months. So, again, a fundamental thing I would say that is different between the way we use hope in our vocabulary, in the way that we find uh, hope situated in Scripture, is that in Scripture we find that biblical hope is closely bound with faith. And in Hebrews 11, one, what do we find? Faith is the assurance, it's the substance of things hoped for. 
It is the evidence of things not seen. So, you know, the man of the world says, I hope I can get this done on time, indicating he's not so sure. Maybe he doesn't have enough time, he doesn't have enough strength, or he's not sure his power is great enough to make it happen. For the lost man, hope is a wish regarding a future uncertain outcome that is based on his own power or, in most cases, is at least based on circumstances that he can't control at all. But if, in fact, faith is bound up with hope and the Christian is saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, if he's justified by faith apart from works, Romans 3, if we have boldness and confident access through Jesus Christ, through faith in him to God, Ephesians 3, and if faith is the assurance of things hoped for, then, then hope is not a wish, and hope is not based on you or on your power at all, ultimately. So we, we've said that hope is an eager expectation, but it is more than that. Real hope is not an untamed emotion, you know, and this is something that, that we know. Hope as, you know, a form of hope as, as an indiscriminate elation. You know, you, you look forward, well, it's going to come in the mail tomorrow. You know, it's going to be here, and we're going to put it together, right? It's something you're anticipating and expecting. Of course, it may or may not come tomorrow, but, but you're, you're anticipating it. And you put it together, and the joy lasts for a little bit, and then there's something else. Well, two weeks from now, something else is going to come in the mail, and we're going to do that. And that's how many people live in terms of an energy, something that drives them on and motivates them, this indiscriminate uh, uh, anticipation. So hope, biblically, I would say, is energized faith specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, Faith or hope is an anticipation of Jesus Christ. So faith, we know, involves the whole person, his, his intellect, his emotions, his will, confidently looking to Jesus Christ and away from himself. And I would say that hope is the energy of that faith. Uh, one passage to think about would be Psalm, Psalm 39. You don't have to turn there, but... But in Psalm 39, David is seeing his life in this world as nothing. He's, he's, he's despondent. <clears throat> he sees that he's a mere breath, that, that riches in this life don't last, that the man is accumulating wealth for himself and then doesn't know who's going to inherit it after he's gone. And he writes, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? So what is he anticipating? What is he expecting? What is his motivation? And now, Lord, for what do I wait? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Well, David's answer is, my hope is in you. His eager expectation is God himself. He is confidently, expectantly looking to God, waiting on him. Hope is energized faith in God through Jesus Christ. Hope is the eager expectation of future events which are certain to occur. 
based upon faith in the trustworthy character of God. I borrowed something from Brother Charles, and he is eagerly anticipating that I will return this item. But for the last two Sundays, I have forgotten to bring it. And he doesn't know for certain whether or not he's going to ever get it back. But what does the Christian know for certain? Well, I mean, you could spend an hour just on that. You know, what do we know for sure is true? Well, we know that the judge of all the earth will do right. That's a big one. Genesis 18. Whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, whatever tribulation in your life, whatever you've suffered, you know that at the end, the judge of all the earth will do right. And you expect that. The Christian knows, as God has said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God is going to make it right. The Christian knows that though his outer man is wasting away, this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, right? It is going to happen. It must happen. The resurrection of our body, the redemption of our flesh, is certain to occur. It is not a wish. So the Christian confidently, expectantly awaits the completion of his adoption. And he perseveres because of this hope. In 2 Timothy 3.8, Paul sees that his end is near. He has suffered, and he says he's like a drink offering that is poured out as a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And he says, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He says, there is a day in which this will happen. It is a certainty. In the midst of his sufferings, he is exalting in hope of the glory of God, as we read in Romans 5. This is real hope. It is the energy of faith. It is the fuel of perseverance in the Christian life. Again, we could consider Job again. Job 19, his, his heart is fainting within him. And he says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I will see God whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. We sorrow in this world, but not as those who have no hope. So, the Christian is hastening the coming of the day of Christ. He is eagerly anticipating it. He knows it is near. He knows that his redemption is drawing nigh. 
Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Just as I have been fully known. You see, are you certain that God knows all now? The same degree of certainty is bound up in the anticipation, the expectation that you will know God. You will see him as he is face to face. This is all certain. What does the hymn say? But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. Blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. Hope is the energy of faith. I'll keep saying that. The laborer in the field labors in hope. He presses on in hope of his future reward. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians of their steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. So you see, you cannot separate hope from faith, and you cannot separate hope from perseverance, not practically. Well, the Bible doesn't just describe hope as an act of anticipation, you know, as a verb. But it also describes hope as an object of our anticipation. So it is not just that hope is the act of the Christian looking to Christ and hoping in Christ, which it is, but that the Christian has been made by God to be given over to a thing called hope. In Romans 8.28, sorry, 8.24, again, for in hope we have been saved. That's used as a noun there. In the thing of hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. The Bible says that hope is something to be known. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of your calling. Paul says that he's a minister of a thing called the hope of the gospel. Colossians 1.23, the Christian is instructed to put on something called the hope of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, the imagery there is as a helmet. You are putting hope on. And through faith, through the Spirit by faith, the Christian is waiting for something called the hope of righteousness. Galatians 5.5, the Christian has strong encouragement to take hold of a thing called hope that is set before him. Hebrews 6.19 and the Christian is told in Colossians 1.5 that there is a real thing called hope that is laid up specifically for him in heaven. And he knows of this because it was revealed in the word of truth. So God is true. He has revealed this. We know it is certain. There is a thing called hope in heaven. Well, I believe that the Bible says clearly that hope is not only a thing, but that hope is a living thing. Hope, as an object, is animated. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us, The Christian has been born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'll say further that it is not only that thing is a living hope, that there is a thing out there. It's not just that scripture is speaking figuratively, as some might say. There's imagery here. I won't stop there. I would go further and say that there is only one true hope, and that hope is an intelligent person who knows everything about you. And that hope is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.27 says <clears throat> that Jesus Christ is alive inside the Christian. Right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah. Jesus Christ is hope. Psalm 71.5, David says of God, he says, You are my hope, O God. By you I've been sustained from my birth. Jesus Christ, very God of very God. He is the hope of glory. Well, if you've heard the things that we've discussed regarding hope and that the Christian is one, by definition, Christ is in him. The Christian eagerly expects the certainty of the person of Jesus Christ. That the Christian, by definition, is one who has been born again to a living hope, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is the hope of glory, then the question that we all have to answer is, what is the basis of our hope in this world? We're talking about a lively faith, perseverance in the midst of tribulation and suffering. And Paul says in Romans 5, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Do we exult in hope? Do we exult in tribulation? Are we disappointed with our lives here? Well, I would suggest that if you are disappointed, if you are let down, it is because you are not hoping in Jesus Christ. The primary reason that we are discouraged in this world is because... Jesus Christ is not the object of our hope. We hope in other things. Oftentimes we look to our own strengths. We're too self-confident. Psalm 33, it's a wonderful psalm. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. The Lord sees and knows it all. But, in spite of that, we often trust in ourselves. We hope in ourselves rather than in God. 
And when our strength fails, there we lay with mud on our face. Well, there in Psalm 33, it says, The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. Right? The king looks out on all he has. Well, it's worked before. It'll work again, surely. A man isn't known as a warrior just because he shows up on the battlefield, right? He has known success in his life. Men look at him and tremble. They know, boy, this guy, yeah, he is a warrior. But Scripture says a warrior is not delivered by great strength, right? Man looks at him and all he has, and then Scripture looks at it and dashes it all. You look at a man who has it all, and Scripture says he doesn't have anything at all. God is the one who's giving him this strength, upholding him, sustaining him that. A king is not saved by a mighty army. Nothing we have brings us success and victory in this world. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. There, I think, is something that should pierce us. The idea there that there is true hope and that there is false hope. Do we have real hope or false hope? It is a dangerous question. And fearfully, God often uses trials in our lives to expose us for who we really are and to prove what is the object of our hope. Well, there are times in which it's not so much that we're trusting in ourselves, hoping in ourselves, but that we're trusting in other people. And this can be the reason for all sorts of difficulties in marriages and other relationships. We are trusting and hoping in people, or we're trusting, we're hoping, we're anticipating another person, another object, rather than Jesus Christ. So that's a problem, misplaced hope. And really, honestly, when we come down to it, it all flows from the problem of gullibility. We are easily duped in this world. We are prematurely satisfied with things in this world. And we let ourselves fall into this over and over again misplaced affections. We're temporarily satisfied with what we have. And so after a few years, you get a new house. Well, it's time for a new job, you know. Just we needed a change, right? Or you get a second home. Obviously, these things are not bad in themselves, but they are a significant opportunity for misplaced hope. Again, what does the hymnist say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Is our hope built solely on Jesus Christ? Do we trust other sweet-sounding things in the world? Or do we dare not trust them? What is... What does 1 John tell us? It says, do not believe every spirit. That's a wonderful verse. We are commanded in Scripture not to believe. Probably don't hear that preached very often. But there it is. Do not believe every spirit. 
or you, your life will be built on false hope. Here, we do not have a lasting city, it says in Hebrews 13, 14, but we are, we are seeking the city which is to come, right? We're anticipating the city which is to come. This world isn't eternal. It's not been made to satisfy us. Everything changes, right? You clean things. You pull the weeds. You get it all right. You get it painted. It rusts. The weeds grow up again. We have not been made to be satisfied with a changing world. We have been meant to be satisfied only with the unchanging God, Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in us, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, there is a third trap that we find ourselves in that can result in false hope. And this really relates to low views of the character of God. And we see this in our world primarily in the form of fatalism. And as Christians, we need to greatly be on guard against this. Because you may be surprised how fatalistic you may be in your own thinking and in the way you live. See, the fatalist believes there are no final causes. There is no ultimate end. The sequence of events in life results from the act of unintelligent, random, impersonal forces. Okay? There is no plan. There is no ultimate objective. Things just happen. Right? Guess what happened to me at work today? Right? This view is pervasive, and there is no place for hope of any sort within this view. But if you submit yourself to the Bible, you see that things never just happen in God's world. No one ever gets lucky. In God's world, the providence of God excludes chance from the universe. <clears throat> Charles Hodge uh, once wrote If God governs the universe, he has some great end, and he must control the sequence of all events so as to render certain the accomplishment of all his purposes. Even, even apparently fortuitous events, such as are determined by causes so rapid or so inappreciable as to elude our notice, the falling of the lot, the flight of the arrow, the number of the hairs of our head, are all controlled by the omnipresent God. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. All things in this world are sustained and upheld by the word of God, by his power, right? Our very existence is, is a universal testament to the omnipresence of God. He is not the one that winds the watch of the universe and steps away. He is ever active in his creation. 
and even more so, ever active and present in your life. Bringing you in contact with other people, closing doors, opening them, and bringing tribulations and trials to prove your faith, right, and to drive you to him. Isaiah 46, verse 9 says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass, I have planned it, surely I will do it. Right? God doesn't make things up as as things go along somehow, you know? God help us from believing in our hearts that God thinks the way we do. There are no surprises to God. Paul could see all this, all right? That is why he exalted in hope of the glory of God, and not only this, but he exalted in his tribulation, right? Because he knew that through the process of, of tribulation and trials, that that there is a deepening perseverance that, that flowed out of that, out of that pain. That tribulations were God's way of proving <clears throat> of proving a Christian and of producing this hope, this eager expectation, this anticipation this longing to throw other things away and to run after Jesus Christ alone, who is the object of hope, who is hope himself. The confidence here in the midst of trial, why? How is he so confident? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. If you believe in the providence of God, you believe in the omnipresence of God, you believe in the sovereignty of God and that he loves you and that his love is in you through his Holy Spirit, then surely we can exalt in him in hope and we can exalt in our tribulations. Amen.